Hey everyone, we are back for season six of the Holistic Pharmacy Podcast. I'm your host, Marina Buxov, a functional medicine pharmacist and holistic herbal educator. I'll be sharing inspiring stories of my guests who have shifted into holistic modalities, both personally and professionally. My co-host, Dr. Jenna Carmichael, will be joining me to lead the Journal Club episodes to share an evidence-based approach to holistic and herbal medicine. I'm so glad you're here and hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to a brand new season of the Holistic Pharmacy Podcast. My first guest of the season is Dr. John Kim, PharmD, who's a functional medicine pharmacist and the owner and pharmacist in charge at Robinson Wellness Pharmacy. He's also quite a legend on social media. He's been in clinical practice for 15 years and has been a foremost voice in health, wellness, and preventative medicine. He received his doctorate in pharmacy from Rutgers University with high honors and trained in functional medicine from the Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine, A4M. Dr. John actively lectures throughout the country and is an influencer within the functional medicine world to educate and empower everyday people to live a healthy, fulfilling life. His message is, the doctor of the future is you, the patient. Do not miss this episode. There are going to be gems for everyone in this interview. You can connect with Dr. John via Instagram, and don't forget to grab a free copy of his brand new ebook by clicking the link in the show notes. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Holistic Pharmacy Podcast. I have with me today a sensation of the social media world. His name is Dr. John Kim, and he's a functional medicine pharmacist. Welcome to the show. Dr. Marina, thank you so much for your patience. I know we've been going back and forth trying to schedule this, so I am honored to be on your show. And uh, I'm looking forward to this conversation. Well, I'm honored to have you on. And I would like to ask you the first question I generally ask all my guests, which is, how did you become a pharmacist in the first place? What got you interested? What got you started on this journey? Yeah, you know, funny enough, I really didn't have any sense of purpose in terms of what I wanted to do right out of high school. So I did a bit of a soul searching, let's just say. I took all the general requisites of being going into medicine or some kind of a scientific background. And I had a lucky chance to work for a, a compounding pharmacy. And at that point in time, in terms of what that pharmacy actually did, being very innovative in dealing with customized hormone therapy, pain management, and helping different patients along with doing integrated practice. Like I remember at that, at the a point at that time, this was back in 2000, right? there was no word called functional medicine at that time. It was always called a holistic or integrated practice. And that's what the pharmacy really did. And so that really sparked the interest. I really wanted to become also a compounding pharmacy owner as well. So that led me to transfer into pharmacy school my third year. And um, I did a lot of uh, clinical research as well. Matter of fact, I have two publications out in dealing with EGCG, green tea, polyphenol, uh, which is basically now useless because I don't even do anything to deal with it. But uh, lucky enough, I had a chance to work with a good professor that let me publish two studies at that point in time. And I thought I was going to go into research uh, and then doing some clinical work in the hospital and such, and then let me into the path of functional medicine when I soon realized uh, that 
uh, it wasn't just about medicine per se, but trying to look for bigger answers. And so not just becoming a pharmacist, but really diving into functional medicine. Love it. Yeah. So it was kind of an unusual setup from the get-go for you, it seems like. Um, out of curiosity, what were you majoring in before you transferred into pharmacy? Biochemistry and philosophy, actually. Okay, okay. So yeah. not too far off there. <laughs> no, not, not at all. But I, I actually took a philosophy 101. And uh, again, I had an amazing professor at that point in time. I, I really fell in love with the entirety of the uh, philosophy in general. So I thought I was going to do a either dual or minor in that. And uh, here I am becoming a pharmacist. Yeah, but it is all relevant, right? Service-oriented profession. We work with people. So it is definitely science and evidence-based, uh, but also, you know, the humanitarian sciences play a huge role no matter what we do because we're humans at the end of the day. So it's all relevant. Absolutely. That, that's another reason why I think uh, for anyone that's listening out there or uh, in a pharmacy school, really do some soul searching, I think. You need to really dive into different subjects, not just focusing just on pharmacy work or didactic lectures, really build up your interest outside the pharmacy. And that's where the overall opportunity comes into play. I think we soon forget about that because we're so busy studying all the time. Uh, and so any pharmacist you end up having to interact with, I'm like, you know what? Do some research, talk to different people, network, grow that pot even bigger, and then realize what you want to settle in rather than just sticking with retail or big pharma or whatever that you want to. Because even for me, if it wasn't for all those different pathways I ended up having to take during a pharmacy school year, and as well as traveling down to Houston, Texas, and being trained at Professional Compounding Center America, I don't even think I'll be here in this, uh, in this scenario where I would have had met with different integrative pharmacists at that point to really look at functional medicine and getting trained in it. Yeah, absolutely. Those are such good points. And I'm a huge believer and proponent of hands-on training as well. So our rotations are a great example of how we do that already as pharmacists, as part of our PharmD degrees. Um, but also like anything outside of that, or some students are really innovative in creating their own rotation sites and um, practices so that you can actually get an idea of what it feels like, what it looks like to be a pharmacist in a certain area versus like thinking, you know, what it's going to be like, but then, you know, being really surprised when you go into your first day of work. Yeah, absolutely. That, that, that's why you want to get the most experience possible working with different places, working with different people. And uh, sometimes uh, the socioeconomic aspect of it as well. Sometimes you should work, at least in a point of your career, working in the cities and see how that is in a practice versus, you know, working in a very, you know, affluent environment. So for instance, right now, the pharmacy that I own and where the pharmacy is located is a very influent, uh, affluent town called Mendham. And the average income here is around $250,000 and above. And so different in terms of the clientele that we see and what we recommend and what we end up having to provide in terms of service-wise is completely different versus when I had worked for Walgreens in middle of um, Jersey City, where it's a highly, Jersey City, New Jersey, where it's highly Medicaid population. That's a completely different there as well because of the overall uh, 
illness and the medications you're dispensing, and then you're dealing with the socioeconomic aspect of it. So it's a whole different um, challenge that you end up having to see when you are working in that part. Yeah, absolutely. And even like the more remote rural areas and towns where you might be the only provider of pharmacy services that sets you up with a different category of skills and services as well. And um, socioeconomic aspects and access to certain care and um, also people's beliefs um, around care that they want to be provided. Like that's why for me, I'm really passionate about herbal medicine because of the accessibility and renewable resource that it inherently is. So, uh, but I digress. Let's go back to compounding. So I'd love sure. to know if you can boil it down, like what is really exciting and important uh, when compounding meets integrative pharmacy? Sure. So, um, so compounding in general, if, if anyone out there are, are not familiar with, I think a lot of the pharmacy professionals are already knowing about it, but not to an extent in terms of what we do in our practice. Uh, because I, when I first started working as a compounding pharmacist, I only focused on more of a hormone therapy. And I thought that was a scenario and then just doing veterinary, but, but there's a lot more. So compounding deals with customized medication for patients' needs. So when you look at the entirety of the history of pharmaceutical industry in general, that didn't really spark up until probably the 1950s. Before then, when a, a, a prescription order was coming into a pharmacy from a doctor, the pharmacist ended up having to make all the drugs from scratch including the, the, the raw ingredient into the, the final doses form in terms of either liquid or paste or a tablature, whatever you, you need to dispense into, the pharmacists end up having to determine that and really get it going. And in general, pharmacists are very innovative, right? Even if you look at a spark of a Coca-Cola, for instance, that really came up from the pharmacy, right? You, you, had, a, a, you, have a, you had a Georgian uh, pharmacists who decide to put cocaine <laughs> in a cola syrup. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what we end up having to get through, right? And even uh, the old time um, uh, nasal rinse called alcohol, right? We st I still use it in our pharmacy, but that is a formulation of a nasal rinse that was formulated by made by a pharmacist. And he used diff three different types of essential oils, including eucalyptus, to dissolve the mucus and try to clear out the nasal passages and moisturizing the area works phenomenally well for sinus infections. So we still use it, but pharmacists in general, we really think outside the box, as long as we actually have the room of creativity there and, and really making us grow. And that's what we did for the longest time. And then the pharmaceutical comes in and then we got too complacent in terms of what was provided in terms of just counting pills, uh, you know, sticking and licking it in a, in a bottle and then, and then dispensing it out. But then around the late 1970s and the uh, early 80s, that's when the art of compounding really came into place, where we soon found out that 30% of the population usually are not able to be met using regular pharmaceuticals. And so back in at that point in time, the first few things that the compounding pharmacists really made was making progesterone suppositories because that was were not available, right? So you got a really a, a small metal um, suppository mold, you, you melt them co uh, cocoa butter, put some progesterone powder in there and then, and then shape it into a suppository. Uh, so that was a, those were very popular. Another thing that they were doing was uh, early part 
of hormone therapy at that time, the early 80s, was making triest um, uh, capsules. So triest deals with three different types of estrogen, estrone, estriol, and estradiol, and a um, 80 to uh, 10, 10 ratio, basically. So 80% of estriol and then 10% of estrone and 10% of estradiol. That was very innovative because there was more available, right? So would uh, works with like uh, Dr. Jonathan Wright, who was an, who's an MD, he's still alive. He practiced out of Seattle. He was one of the pioneers in doing that, but he needed a compounding pharmacist to make those. So compounding pharmacist comes in and then really formulate all these things. And that's the practice of hormone therapy is where it is at this point in time. It's got a lot more complex, now really putting into functional medicine aspect of it. And that's, that really sparked my interest right? in, in terms of changing the patient's symptoms and their overall, how they feel, their emotions, so, and things that end up having to be changed by just changing the overall balance of the hormone was very, very intriguing for me when I first started working as a company tech. Uh, and then going through that route of knowing what the company industry is doing and customizing the patient, the possibility became endless. So you know, now you're dealing with a lot more complex uh, avenues of compounding where you're dealing with sterile and non-sterile. Now you're going into the hazardous compounding. So right now we're uh, in the middle of a build-out process to build a negative pressure USB, USB 800 lab room to deal with hazardous materials like hormones. So that's really uh, a, a step in a right route, I think, in dealing with the safety alone and, and the um, uh, really making things right. Uh, and then you have uh, different sciences that are coming into play, especially transdermal delivery. Uh, there are different sort of peptides that compounding pharmacists could end up having to make, uh, along with different um, uh, things of that nature in terms of like low-dose naltrexone to treat autoimmune, chronic pain. So a lot of these things are not available by the pharmaceutical company. And the compounding pharmacists there working with different uh, doctors and different specialties and patients building up that triad relationship and providing a solution that the patient's not able to get currently anywhere. Uh, so our big practice right now in, in our pharmacy, uh, especially for Robinson Wellness Pharmacy and, and Bendham, we deal with a lot of Lyme treatment, right? We do deal with a lot of Lyme treatment, other co-infections, especially parasite issues uh, and dealing with the root cause matter in terms of the overall illness, dealing with autoimmune disorders, MS, uh, uh, rheumatoid arthritis on that line. Um, mycotoxin issue is a big one that we deal with. So we make a lot of different doses forms for uh, antifungal nasal rinse, uh, along with uh, potentially doing different types of uh, customized vitamin work for these patients who are not able to absorb it that well. Uh, certainly transdermal delivery in certain cases of certain medications because of their GI tract is com compromised because of mold toxicity as well. So these are things that are very innovative. And I, if it wasn't for compounding and having that early exposure, then going through the integrated model, then going into the functional and the complexity of the uh, root cause medicine, I don't think in terms of what I'm doing right now would have been possible. Uh, so, you know, it's all about the, I guess the luck of the draw, but also who you meet and how you end up having to open up the opportunity. Yeah, I love that window that you shared with us just there of what can be possible and what's been possible for you on your journey. Um, it's really, really exciting for sure. And 
you know, I think a lot of the dosage forms do leave a lot to be desired. And I love how you walked us through the history of what a pharmacist was, you know, who the pharmacist was and what role the pharmacist played and how now we can't really even imagine it because a lot of it is ready to go, you know, and all we have to do is count um, and counsel, hopefully. Um, but, you know, there is a lot left there, um, a lot on the table that we could still pick up and improve um, on an individual level. And also, um, like you said, like there is this gap, right, where the dosage may not be proper or appropriate, and then the dosage form as well. So there's that creative space to get into compounding and getting into professional triad relationships to figure out how to serve that gap, how to serve that patient gap that doesn't have a solution out there. And one of the key things that I think it differentiates, uh, differentiates functional medicine or integrated pharmacists versus conventional pharmacy, and even in terms of working with different naturopaths, is that we are able to observe, you know, way differently in and processing differently as well. Okay, we're not just talking about the pharmaceutical science or the pathophysiology and, and regular general chemistry aspect of it. But we're also looking at how certain drugs end up having to work in the body and looking at the full pharmacological uh, mechanism and, and how the receptors work. And then if you actually have the mindset and the interest of doing and knowing how these certain herbals and as well as certain vitamins and nutrients end up having to work within those receptors to enhance the effect of the drugs itself, along with knowing the functional medicine side and root cause, that's a, that's a you know, big thing that a lot of naturopaths, I don't think, and or any other uh, doctors out there are able to even keep up with. Uh, and so I think there is a great, great value in terms of what functional medicine pharmacists is able to bring that actually does compounding. Uh, and, and I'm very fortunate doing that. And one of the things that I always hold uh, gratefulness for is that a lot of physicians end up having to, you know, call me up or even call our pharmacy up just to go through cases and looking at, you know, I have a patient here, you know, I'm, I'm seeing these symptoms in terms of overall things that we've tried. It's not really working out. What do you think? What do we need to actually start out on doing it? It's not just about vitamins or the nutrients that you end up having to start. Yes. Those are one of the things. But we also end up able to formulate different doses forms and different ingredients in there, different uh, concentrations at the same time to really customize to that patient's needs. So it's not just about the overall things that, hey, you know what, you need to get certain cream, but really individualizing and customizing it to becoming a problem solver. I think that's one of the things that are missing within the pharmacy these days because so being burnt out, I think the entire process is just counting pills and dispensing drugs because, and, and not, again, we need to have that room, a window of creativity to actually spark. And we don't allow that to grow at this point. And I think that's a sadness that's actually happening within the pharmacy. I think that's another reason why a lot of pharmacists are leaving the profession in droves, right? Uh, I think that's a very, very, very sad reality that we're seeing right now. And I hope, uh, now, certainly this type of podcast and I've had to spark some interest and changes that's going to happen in the profession. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think 
there is a certain kind of death happening right now, but also that with that comes the potential and possibility for rebirth. So reinventing the profession, yeah. like you said, finding innovative ways to bring our skills into a different frame, repurposing them. And that's what I've done with herbalism as well. So it, it's like going back to what has been working, um, thinking what doesn't work, and trying to mix and match in a different innovative way that does serve a purpose and fill this um, gap that is just not there. And, you know, functional medicine as a whole also aims to problem solve, where we're not just having somebody on a maintenance medication every single day. In some cases, yes, there might be um, need and necessity for certain types of maintenance. Um, but in, on the other hand, we don't want somebody to be on a medication if their body can heal and take over that mechanism. So that is always the goal for us not to need medication, but sometimes we do need extra help and assistance. And, you know, I do think there is a role for herbs and crude plants, just like pharmacy, the way it started out, as we discussed, um, and I do think there is roles for more um, intricate work down the line. So I want to ask you, what have you seen out of all the different cases and patients that you serve and disease states that you mentioned? Um, you know, what have you seen to be like making the biggest difference? Is there a common theme or a thread among these cases or how do they differentiate if not? It's very different. It's ideal. Uh, I, I mean, ideally, it's, it's um, you know, I, ideally, I wish it was the same and, and it's just a very cookie cutter approach and it'd be easy as well. But obviously, that doesn't really spark my interest. But it's a very unique case you see every single day. You know, I, we work with uh, certainly uh, urogynecologists and those set of patients we're dealing with public floor issues along with endometriosis. Uh, and interstitial cystitis are very, very difficult cases to treat because they're so sensitive to different uh, chemicals and dyes and certain cream bases. So we sometimes end up having to give them five or six different cream bases just to figure out which ones they're able to tolerate. And then you're also dealing with mental and emotional trauma on top of that. So you have a lot of things to unbag and unravel and trying to figure these things out along with what can we do to help to um, uh, address some of the stress response. So I do end up having to coach patients in doing uh, breath work and uh, possibly outsourcing patients to doing public floor uh, physical therapy and work with those physical therapists as well. And then we have the compounding aspect that we end up having to dispense like diazepam suppositories that we make, right? To help relax that um, set of a pelvic floor muscle that you need to do. That's just a band-aid, but that actually really helps to relieve their pain problem initially, and then having to address a lot of other things. We also utilize for those patients being that we're in the same topic, we do use low dose naltrexone on those because the endometriosis uh, issue, also dealing with intercystitis or lichen scoliosis for that matter, uh, can be resulting from autoimmune problem. Um, so addressing that by utilizing low-dose naltrexone to balance the immune system, to address a lot of issues with, with dealing with the nerve pain they might be having or other things that we could end up having to do. And so those patients do end up having to see me for consultations uh, for hormone replacement therapy, or even just doing functional aspect in terms of 
maybe dietary changes or other lifestyle change that we need to address and really looking at the root cause. And so uh, those patients are being referred by the doctor uh, to us and that's how we end up having to work with them. So that's just one case. There's a second other thing that we see a lot of times is patients dealing with uh, severe mold and uh, Lyme disease along with Bartonella, uh, a lot of the co-infections getting into play. And uh, I do have an interesting story for myself, but uh, that is a very complicated matter that we have to work with because uh, those patients do end up having to have a lot of sensitivity to medications uh, as well as certain fillers. So we got to be very extra careful in terms of what type of fillers that we use. So instead of doing any lactose or any microcrystalline cellulose that we used to use, now actually resorting to isomalt uh, and using uh, prebiotic fillers uh, as a filler basis for the capsules that we make. Uh, along with some of the transdermal deliveries, uh, we may have to use a soy-free transdermal delivery basis that for those uh, pa for those patients. Uh, so it's very complicated and, and very unique case, right? Even if you deal with spectrum disorder patients, uh, and, and that's even tougher because now you're dealing with sensory deprivation issues on top of maybe texture problem that you deal with. So you got to be extra careful in terms of what kind of a syrup that you make or even a taste right? So for these children who are dealing with spectrum disorder, maybe they're eating, they're, maybe they're taking something sweet, but they're going to sense that it's bitter. So now you got to have to work with the parents and figuring out what type of flavoring they have to use. It's very unique and, and, and it's fun. And, um, and once you notice that patients are getting better, uh, and then especially that the most rewarding part is parents coming in and then thanking you. And, and these things are really mind-blowing. Uh, and uh, it feels I'm, I'm making a humongous impact on, on them. And, um, you know, sometimes you can't reverse a lot of issues, but as long as you're able to give them a better quality of life, right? And getting to point A to point B and able to function, my gosh, I mean, that's, that, that is amazing. Yeah, thank you for sharing those examples. And it really speaks to the fact that, um, yes, we do want to address root causes and there are are these deeper levels, like you mentioned, the emotional work, trauma, um, you know, the physical sensations and sensory issues and um, all the things that we may not necessarily, the inflammation, I think, is a big uh, common thread that I think a lot of these things have in common. Um, but the way they express are so different, right, in each uh, person. So they might need a very different approach in terms of symptom relief. And so just understanding and allowing them to understand and participate in finding this combination and this approach where, yes, we are going to be looking at the root cause and addressing that. But at the same time, we're going to be addressing the symptoms because both are very, very important. But just presenting that in a sort of way that sets up expectations and lets them know how how they can even understand that they're getting better, right? Um, because just giving them a medication sometimes doesn't really tell them a lot and the symptoms might go away and improve, but the condition may not be improving. So for me, it's very important to have a multifaceted approach. Um, and it is really cool how you were describing this complexity, but unraveling that and coming up with innovative and unique solutions to the case. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> I, I find it very fun. 
and dealing with these. So uh, in a, on a daily basis, yeah, it's tiring, but it's fun because it's very different things that I end up having to see. I, I think if I end up having to be, you know, working in a big pharma, for instance, or let's just say I was just doing straight retail, I, I, I would have been, you know, driving myself nuts, really, and, and probably left the profession a while ago. But it's, it's very unique case in it, in it. Yeah, I think it's, you know, the repetition and just almost getting mindless with the repetitive work just makes it feel robotic and not human. Yeah. Whereas when you're able to exercise your knowledge and learn new things each and every single day, it makes it very fun and also rewarding, like you said, which is very important. So your life takes on a more meaningful, colorful reality when you know that you're providing a very valuable service. Yeah, absolutely. So that's that's why I'm doing this. <laughs> yeah. So I'd love for you to walk us through those professional steps that were important in you um, finding this niche. So I know it started back in college where you had the hands-on experience. So how did you take the steps to get to where you are today and what were the most important steps? So I always mention, and anytime I tell the story that it's, it's about who you meet and when you meet, and then it is when you are exposed to those information, what you do with it and having a sense of purpose in terms of fulfilling your needs for yourself and, and having a fulfilling a profession. So back in 2005, when I actually started my rotation, um, and uh, my first rotation was at Hackensack Medical Center in the ER department. And so any admitting patients that I'm able to see, I end up having to go through the medication list. And then when they're getting discharged with their medication, I also have to counsel them. There was just one particular lady that actually came in every single week with an uncontrollable high blood pressure. And I, I, don't, I don't remember what, how many medications she was on, but she had several, uh, including alpha blockers and, and such. And it wasn't addressing anything at all, except for the fact that patient was coming in and out of the hospital and nothing was addressed in dealing with possible dietary changes, maybe decreasing your salt intake, maybe even in terms of all the things that we could potentially do. Because I still remember, I mean, you were in pharmacy school before too, in the same year and I, but at that point in time, when you look at the GNC7 guideline back in the day, even then, when you look at the, the first few pages of the GNC guideline, it does talk about the lifestyle changes, but then we completely forget about this and I'm just like, wait, 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 wait. It's in there, but why are we talking about this in the ER? Why are we so busy getting this patient out of the hospital? And I'm just like, this is, this is completely nuts. I'm like, why am I doing this? And then having to have the same person going to this, coming in the same week, talk about the same stuff. And then there's no end, end behind that. And then I end up having to go into, you know, working in the ICU and, and, and Hackensack, they had about uh, 20, beds in the ICU unit and working with those complex, complex cases really put me a mindset in terms of looking at different pathology and as well as how certain medications really work timing-wise, as well as different mechanisms. And, and certain ICU settings, you have to think outside the box to bring forth a challenging cases in it. So that was really fun. Because now I'm not just dealing with patients that are coming in and out of the ER. Now I'm actually seeing these patients who are going to be in the uh, ICU unit for 20-something days, and you're really looking at the course of it, right? 
Uh, and then the other rotation that I had gone through was doing infectious disease and looking at different disease states and and and, um, and that that really opened my eyes in terms of um, diabetic neuropathy and um, even in terms of diabetic neuropathy um, or diabetic wounds for that matter and seeing patients getting their you know, toes getting removed or the limbs because it's completely infection. And that in itself, yeah, I learned about infectious disease, but one other thing that I learned about was what, what I need to do to teach myself or even teach people around me about preventive medicine, right? If you could actually control your overall insulin resistance and inflammation along that line, and what we learned a little bit about in terms of health and nutrition and pharmacy school, I could probably make a bigger impact and not having to see those patients coming in. And, and, um, and the moment that when you see patients with gangrene on their feet, you realize how smelly <laughs> it is and soon realize what kind of crap you're dealing with. So that, that made a humongous impact. And then afterwards, I did some uh, rotational work at Professional Compounding Center of America, uh, PCCA, and I was one of the students ended up having to do a rotation for five weeks. And really that even changed the course of whole course of my life because I knew I was going to go into compounding, but not to a point to impact in terms of working in that place, being on call, doing consulting work, right? Anytime there's some kind of a prominent case that a compounding pharmacy calls into PCCA, I'll be sitting there doing all the research, writing up the, uh, in terms of what the course of uh, action should be, handing off to a consulting pharmacist, and then they end up having to talk to that compounding pharmacy, right? So all those things end up having to be making a humongous impact, then end up having to work with three other compounding pharmacies down there that led me to, you know what, I want to own a compounding pharmacy. And then on top of, um, now I want to go into integrated because I, I saw a couple of compounding pharmacies now doing private consulting work in their pharmacy, and they had wall full of supplements and, and patients traveling one or two hours just to see them and doing consulting work. Now, remember back in the day, we didn't have Zoom. So pharmacists end up having to see these patients further away, but that really made a change. And then I called up different, because uh, PCCA had a lot more other connections with different doctors and practitioners. And I still remember talking with uh, uh, Jim Lavelle, I don't know, I don't know if you remember him, Dr. Jim Lavelle, he, he's, he's like the, he's a, he's a RPH, the pharmacist, um, and then got into ND, then, then go, got into certified clinical nutrition. Uh, and so in terms of dealing with functional medicine and nutrition and metabolic, he wrote a book called metabolic code back in the early two thousands. And I, I read, read his book before I called him up because I had a connection to talk to him. And he talked, told me about functional medicine fellowship program that was going to be available through the uh, anti-aging academy. So right out of pharmacy school, that's what I did. Instead of going into uh, residency or some other things that uh, my friends and colleagues were doing, I decided to enroll into A4M anti-aging fellowship program. And that's when I learned about proper hormone replacement therapy, uh, the entirety of the, the Krebs cycle, looking at the, the start of the uh, cardiac issues that patients dealing with, the actosclerotic plaque, what to, how to manage that. Uh, and then another thing that was very interesting during that time was, I don't think they have it available now, but at that time you had to do a clinical rotation for, uh, for a week with a, a functional medicine doctor. Uh, and so just following 
him around and looking at different things that, that they were doing. I was just like, wow, this is a humongous thing that I could bring value into patients and, that, and as well as a build up a consulting career in doing this. So that's what I did after two years of it. Um, the first things that I ended up having to focus on was you got to find the niche. And this is the key issue that I see a lot of times. I mentioned this on Instagram. I got some flack from other pharmacists about it because everybody wants to get into functional medicine these days, as you know, right? Every pharmacist wants to get into functional medicine because they are not very happy with the profession. So every comment that I see, even in terms of other um, functional medicine uh, blog posts or even Facebook groups, they always mention about, oh, what kind of training should I be doing? What, you know, what are you doing differently? But one of the things that a lot of these pharmacists don't know is, what are you going to do after you got your, get your training? Who are you going to work for? What kind of patients do you want to see? And if you do see those patients, how are you going to manage them? Right? This is the key things, three things that they should be asking about, but they're not doing that. They just see the fancy work called functional medicine. And so they want to jump in. What I did was because I actually had a compounding practice I was working for, I actually generally, the first thing that I ended up having to deal with was hormone replacement therapy uh, patients. I ended up having to reach out to my local OBGYNs and said, hey, if you need any help dealing with bioidentical hormone replacement therapy, I'm your guy. Send me your patients. Now, mind you, I know what the heck I was doing at that point in time, right? But I wanted those patients to come to me. And then, uh, and then what I would do is I would see those patients. Uh, and then actually what I had patients first do was doing saliva testing. And then once I get the results, I would call ZRT lab. That was a lab company that, that I, oh, I, I still do deal with. And then one of my mentor, um, Jim Paoletti, he was, he's a pharmacist, but he's a, one of the top experts in bioidentical hormone replacement therapy. Uh, he still travels around the United States and training MDs and pharmacists and dealing in how to prescribe bioidentical hormone replacement therapy. So I'll be on the phone with him for an hour or two asking all these case questions. Then the following day, when I see the patient, those are the questions I would ask. And I look very smart. <laughs> That's how I started. That's literally how I started, right? But what I do, I basically focus on what I know, how I could get trained, and after that, how to expand beyond aspect of it. Now, one of the things I did end up having to do is I made a lot of mistakes when I first started doing hormone replacement therapy because I thought it was just throwing estrogen and progesterone at the patient. Never dealt with insulin resistance, cortisol response issues, adrenal insufficiencies, micronutrient issues, potentially dealing with other hidden infections like Epstein-Barr, right? Or in dealing with trauma, or lifestyle matters, and as was poor vagal nerve response, all those things. Now I know, right? But back when I started back in 2008, I didn't know any of those things. And I thought just throwing hormones. And then after that, oh, it's uh, adrenal fatigue issues. All right, you get, you get rhodiola, you get ashwagandha. And then that actually backfired on me because I had one patient who took rhodiola and she had severe hot flashes. And, and I, I learned, learned doing my, doing my mistake. And, and again, I had the opportunity to do it, right? It's, it, I had opportunity to work with different doctors, work with different patients. But then for those now, the pharmacists who are just getting into functional medicine, 
Do they have the connections to do it? And I'm not, I'm not belittling them, but really think about this because now getting into functional medicine is getting even more costly, training-wise, um, where you're going to practice and such. If you're going to be a solo practitioner and doing it Zoom-wise, or you're going to be working and getting referrals from different doctors, or you're planning on um, you know, working for a company pharmacy or different pharmacies, and if they do, are they able to afford to pay you every single time they're coming in? And how are you going to get paid for the consultation services, right? So those are things that, that you really have to figure out. And I think there's a such a disconnect explaining it. And I, I know that we have mutual friends and, and who runs this functional medicine pharmacist uh, support group. And um, I, I, I sometimes I look at these uh, blog posts on Facebook and I'm like, I don't think they're getting the full picture right now. And um, I have, I had, I had a few pharmacists that have to reach out to me. They're like, you know, I got into functional medicine and then, you know, this particular pharmacist was teaching me that you have to order all these labs and this is, this is the way to do it. And you have to upcharge and, you know, I don't feel very comfortable. Matter of fact, you know, patients don't want to work with me at, at this point in time. That's a reality. Like this should be taught properly, but I don't know. I, I'm, I'm just not very happy with where, where it is. And so I, I did like, <laughs> as you saw, I, I made a little post on Instagram. I had some unfavorable words from other pharmacists. Yeah. Yeah. I love your posts. Uh, I know you, you often start with unpopular opinion and then I'm like, it's a hundred percent spot on what's unpopular about it. <laughs> um, that's usually my reaction, but um Thank you for sharing all of those considerations that are very important to have in place and to think about as we're moving into these new directions. So I'd like to reflect back that it seems like shadowing and mentorship was a very big part that helped you get experience, get exposure and um, get your feet wet and then start to become an expert in this area. So um, I know sometimes looks like, oh, wow, like this person gets to live the life of their dreams and get their dream job and, you know, has so much impact, um, you know, and that's all great. But, you know, there is usually a backstory of like, you know, it was probably pretty difficult to get there. It wasn't um, that easy. It has its own challenges when you step out of the box and you do things differently. It's not like there is one particular program and one particular mentor that everybody has to have in order to have a particular end result. You know, it looks very, very different different for different people, different professions. And like you said, you know, meeting the right people and forming relationships is so important. Um, so, you know, thank you for showing the insight of what it took. And do you uh, have any other uh, words or advice as far as like your personal approach? Did you open up your own compounding pharmacy right away after you finished these trainings and fellowships? Or how did that process look for you? How were you able to do that? That was long as well. So uh, I was working for a pharmacy. Uh, it was called Tiffany Natural Pharmacy. So um, now my business partner he actually started the very first nutrition department in a pharmacy back in the early 90s. Uh, so he was very innovative actually bringing GNC into a pharmacy and selling supplements that way. 
and he actually has a, a master's in nutrition. So he, had, he formed the farm is called Tiffany Natural Pharmacy. That's, that's where I worked for uh, six years. Uh, and then afterwards, um, Robinson Drug Shop, where now actually rebranded to Robinson Wellness Pharmacy, was available as a 152-year-old pharmacy. Right? It's one of the oldest pharmacies in New Jersey, uh, actually probably in the country, actually. Uh, and um, there was no company practice whatsoever. It was a regular traditional pharmacy. And they, it sold a lot of gifts. And when I walked in, one of the vision that I actually had was cleaning all this up and then providing the functional medicine. And that was hard as well. It wasn't easy because when I first started uh, doing the consulting practice at, at when I first bought my pharmacy, every month I would actually provide free hormone and functional seminars for patients. I, was, I started with three and then uh, until the pandemic, I had 20 people coming in and I, I provided different information about hormone replacement therapy, thyroid, detox, weight loss, uh, management of stress, even including CBD and cannabis medicine. I did lecture on those. And that's how I ended up having to have a flow of patients coming in that and during that way. Um, and that, that in itself actually grew the nutritional department um, and then the consulting it wasn't as big in terms of what I'm doing now, because obviously now the social media, and then now you're actually dealing with uh, technology, but those were all local patients that we were working with. Uh, so it, it, it was really fun. And it, I think that was a key difference that made was um, I had the opportunity. I had the right people. Um, and, and, and also when you had that opportunity, hey, listen, I mean, when I walked into the old Robinson drug shop place, drug shop, that's an old pharmacy to begin with. And then when I walked in, all I saw was gifts and greeting cards and OTC items. When I walked in, I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna clean everything up and then this is what I'm gonna put in and this is what I'm gonna provide and I don't care what anybody says. So in, in, in a sense that you need to have an entrepreneurial spirit, but you have to think about, actually don't even think about what people say, just do what you need to do and you're gonna find the right people. Once you provide the right service, once you are able to be uh, receive that tr overall trust within the community, that's when the people start to work with you. And it took me about two years. Um, and a little hindsight, it's a very rich white neighborhood. And so when you talk about a Asian American, especially Korean American immigrant, walking into a very rich upscale town like this, it takes a time to actually chip that away. You know, uh, you know, I'm not saying that they're racist or anything. It's just an overall trust, right? They they were dealt with working with, you know, uh, a white pharmacists for thirty something years, and all of a sudden now the young Asian kid just walks in and then trying to run. Yeah, it's gonna take some time. I didn't take anything wrong with that. I had I had a couple of patients leaving the pharmacy after I bought the pharmacy. That's fine as well. You gonna you're going to find your right base and your tribe right? Including when you actually open up your social media page, that is your tribe. Those are the tribe of people who's going to be loyal to you. They're going to follow you and work with you. And in terms of how you build up that relationship and how you manage that relationship and taking care of those people are going to build dividends because those are the referral points you're going to get. Uh, so that's how I built my practice. Yeah. So can you just condense a little bit for how did you handle the financial investment aspect in terms of like a business plan? And number two, 
um, from your mentorship experience and actually getting good at providing the services that make a difference, you know, um, how did you set that up and what is important in that aspect? So uh, my partners and I, we ended up having to buy the pharmacy together. So we actually brought our overall capital and then bought the pharmacy. So we didn't go to a bank and doing that. Now, if you're going to be doing a sole owner and, and trying to buy a pharmacy these days, and you got to find the right pharmacy. Another problem is if you decide to buy a pharmacy, um, you need to have a certain amount of cash flow and then capital on top of the overall sales and margins to keep up with that business. And so unless you're doing a certain amount of into sale these days, into retail pharmacy, it's not even worth keeping it anymore. Um, so I, I've, I've had a couple other pharmacies and pharmacists calling me and asking about, hey, you know, did the one pharmacy available? Uh, I want to buy it. What do you think? And I'm like, well, how much, how much sales are they doing? What kind of service are they providing? It's not worth it. You're not going to last for another two to three years, and it's going to be very helpful. Um, and in many cases, I mean, right now, Robinson Wellness is in that kind of a plateau at this point in time, right? The reason is it's not a bad thing. It's just the overall change in landscape in dealing with regular retail pharmacy. I have a retail pharmacy along with the compounding, right? The retail pharmacy, yes, it's, it's a heavy in terms of volume in terms of what we provide, but that doesn't really give you the overall necessary uh, margin that you need to keep the pharmacy profitable. But in providing different services like the compounding, the nutritional consultations, uh, overall vitamins that we sell and other ancillary services that we provide, those end up having to be the overall you know, pieces that you end up having to do. Uh, so in, for me, when I um, move, actually <laughs> another crazy thing I did last year was my partners and I, we bought a new pharmacy building and we moved the 150 year pharmacy middle of Christmas <laughs> and shifted to, it's only located two blocks away, but we had to move the entire pharmacy middle of it because we had leasing issue. Wow. I had, a, I had a, a previous landlord wanted me to sign a 10 year personal guarantee on a lease. I'm like, that's not happening. So we look looking around and we end up having to buy a building because it was cheaper to buy than just to rent. And so we moved the entire pharmacy last year. So um, month of January of last, uh, so January of 2021 until um, October, I'm sorry, November of 2021, that was a crunch point in terms of getting the right architect, getting the approval from the town because it was a historical building on top of getting through um, inspection. And then you're dealing with raw, uh, um, you have shortage of materials, right? I mean, I, I couldn't even get a regular gondola or countertops for like three months. So now you got to deal with all that. And, and then, you know, a lot of things. So it's challenging. Yeah. I, 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 last year, I really didn't get a chance to rest. <laughs> I burned myself out literally last year. Uh, so it's not easy at all. So anyone out there that's actually planning on wanting to get into a pharmacy and wanting to buy a, build, uh, a pharmacy for that matter and build it, you got to have the right business plan, right mindset into what you're getting it, and also how you're going to set up the business because it's not very profitable these days if you're just sticking with retail and then thinking that you're going to throw a nutritional department. You got to have the right plan of who you're going to reach out to, what your referral point is. I've done the work, right? I've been, I've been a retail pharmacist and for 15, no, 16 years now, and then having to be a pharmacy owner for 10 years. And so the overall 10 years and does a relationship that I had with local doctors, I went to those doctor's offices 
market it, talk with the front staff. I, I had lunch meetings with them. I, I even had dinner meetings with them, building up those relationships for the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. So it just didn't happen overnight. Uh, so if you want to be a pharmacy owner, you got to make those relationships work for you. Yeah. Uh, thank you for sharing all of that. And yeah, I always say that there is never like an easy path to anything. So if you want something rewarding, there's always going to be a level of risk and a level of challenges. So the stable, secure job, you know, has its own challenges and it's also not as stable and secure as you may think. But to be an entrepreneur, you also need to be comfortable with taking a certain amount of risk. And it seems like, you know, you've done all of that and we're able to get the rewards. Um, So why don't we talk a little bit in our last couple of minutes here about your social media presence and how that (laughs) all started out. How did it how did it start and where is it now? Resident right right now. Um, Gosh, so I. uh, I got into social media just because I didn't like all the uh, BS information that was floating about CBD. So um, 2000, I think it was a 2017, actually 2016, that's when I actually started working with uh, CBD brands and now learning about endocannabinoid system and the uh, extraction process of a cannabis plant and then forming into a doses form the testing modalities and everything else. I actually learned it at that point in time and then having to go on social media and all these people starting CBD business, I'm looking, I'm just like, Oh my God. I'm like, this is like, this can't be happening at this point. Um, and sure enough, I actually went to the FDA 2019 and stood in front of the FDA committee in talking about CBD, actually, because it was a CBD hearing. They wanted to know about the industry leaders coming in and talking about the regulatory part of uh, from the FDA. And we want regulation for the CBD business because there's so many raw players out there and they're still not doing things properly. And so we wanted regulation, but the FDA, and especially you know, me standing there and a couple other uh, people, you know, knowing these things, they really didn't want to listen. Uh, and so this was when I just started social media, just to talk about um, what CBD is, how CBD changed my life and, and, and such. Uh, but I didn't really think to a point in terms of sharing about functional medicine. And then I soon realized all these complex cases that were being asked, like, well, can I use CBD for rheumatoid arthritis? And I'm like, well, you can, but there's a lot more other issues that goes on. And then I'm talking about low-dose naltrexone, you know, all the nutritional aspect of it. You got to balance out the immune system. And, and yeah, and the cannabinoid system can be one of the things, but it doesn't really give you the full amount of it. Uh, then one thing led to the other. And the biggest takeaway, take point, at least the uh, point that actually really grew was during COVID uh, because right before, at least two weeks before the, the lockdown, I ended up having to post about how to protect yourself from the potential COVID issue that's going to come to us. So I talked about use of glutathione, um, vitamins, and other things that we, especially Andrew, I love angiographis. And angiographis is one thing that I looked at. And there was a particular study at that time. It was an early study looking at the computer modeling of how the 
coronavirus end up having to enter into the you know, cell matrix and looking at the ACE2 receptors and how that all interacted, I, I really dived in and gave patients information about, you got to take the melatonin to reduce the ACE2 receptor uh, expression. And along with, you got to take the angiographis to stop viral replication. You got to take the zinc and, and, and quercetin. And I even talked about hydroxychloroquine at that point, right? Because that was one of the early therapies that you know, even China and, and Taiwan and even South Korea was using, and then, you know, you know, exactly the rest of what happened afterwards, basically a bunch of censorship that went on because of uh, one particular president decided to talk about it and all these things happening. So, yeah, so that, that actually really grew. Then I, did, I started doing Instagram lives. My goodness, I was, I was so bad at and, um, Instagram live and I had no video skills to begin with. I was so shy. And um, like, like what I'm doing right now, I was not very comfortable in doing it if it was a year and a, almost two years ago. So that really helped me. Uh, and then, you know, trial and error, just guru and diff- collaborating with different uh, big accounts. Uh, Lindsay Elmore really helped me a lot. I'm, I'm friends with her. Um, and then even Lara Zachariah, I, I even had her early on talk about different things. I think I mentioned, I, I think I invited her to talk about methylation process. So she and I found out that we were both graduated from Rutgers University. So that was fun. And then, yeah, just different collaboration. And I've been consistent with that. Uh, and then, you know, making reels, different videos. And, and one thing that I soon found out was once your tribe is working with you within the overall social media, they're very loyal. They're like, a, they're like your fan base. So they will share your content all over. Uh, and so, you know, I, I had a collaboration with, seven other pharmacists last week. I'm not sure if you know, I'm sorry, was it two weeks ago? With Lindsay and uh, Melissa and everyone else. That actually blew up. Uh, I, I thought that was very, I, I thought that was not going to be doing well because it was just a regular graphic. And it's interesting how all those messages that we were speaking about resonated with a lot of our tribes members. And that took off very well as well. So it's about consistency. It's about uh, listening to your overall followers and knowing what they what they need, uh, and then providing those informations. Um, you know, I'm I'm doing these you know for fun, and especially I had COVID two weeks ago, so I had nothing else to do at home. Uh, so I started doing these Q and A sessions for one or two days a week, and uh, it's crazy how many questions I get and the complexity of it. But it's interesting and, and how I'm, familiar, I'm very comfortable answering those questions because I've had all those cases for the last 15 years I practice now, right? I don't think a lot of the practitioners out there actually have that type of uh, experience and value to bring to, to those answers. It's always the same answer. You know, fix the gut, you know, you got to do detox, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, those are good informations, but are you able to explain to people like in terms of the step-by-step process in terms of what to do? you're not going to find that through a didactic lecture or do some kind of a fellowship program or, or even going to IFM. You got to dive in and experience that and able to convey that actual message to those um, people out there. And I've had people saying, you know, you shouldn't be giving out free information. I'm not really giving out free information. I'm just giving them a guideline that there is answers available. I'm sorry, there are answers available and that you need to work with a practitioner. Not about me. You got to work with the right people and you know exactly now what to ask, right? If you actually work with a functional medicine provider and, and he or she decides to throw 
random supplements at you and not explaining what those do, then walk away, right? Or they end up having to order a bunch of tests. And especially I hate micronutrient testing. I used to order those too. The reason I hate it now is because when you actually are dealing with a chronic issue, such as rheumatoid or other issues that you may have, even hormonal dysfunction, that's a sign of a mitochondrial dysfunction. And so you are not able to absorb some of the nutrients and other things. So of course, you're going to have low issue dealing with some of the micronutrients to support the basic nutrients possible. Okay. So put them out of conjugal function. And especially if you see that the patient's very symptomatic dealing with certain food or certain chemicals, that person is very toxic. Now you got to have to work with detox pathway and setting that. And then if you could convince that patient to order the, uh, if they want to order labs, then order the labs instead of actually saying, Hey, you know what? You're gonna, it's going to cost you $2,000 and you should just order these labs. And then um, what are you going to do with those labs? Can you, you know how to read them? And if you do, what are you going to order? You're going to throw every supplement at the person? What if they decide to not buy those? Or like, I feel overwhelmed. And this is the things that I see and hear from patients and DMing me. It's like, well, you know, I, I reached out to this doctor and, and um, they gave me all these supplements and um, felt a little better, but didn't really fix the issue. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Like that, that, that could occur. So again, you, you got to be mindful in terms of how the person is. Are they ready to work with you? Are they, do they have the overall capital to, to spend, to work with you as well? Uh, many, in certain cases, you may have to just do a little bit of each. Maybe you should maybe start with a good set of probiotic and then maybe give some magnesium. And then once you start to notice some change, then step up, right? But I don't think a lot of practitioners end up having to what I see sometimes. I'm just like, oh my God, I'm like, why would you recommend that? I mean, looks fancy, but in a real clinical setting, I wouldn't do that. So, uh, so that's a, that, I think that's a difference there. So I, I and uh, I had a comment yesterday. One, one person said, you know, your answers are way too aggressive. I'm like, yeah, it can be aggressive, but I, I, I've dealt with these things for the last 10 something years at this point. So uh, at least I know how to answer that to you. And sometimes you have to give tough love. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I resonate a lot with what you said. I think it's very different when there's like the theory and then the application, which is why the hands-on and the mentorship is so important as we mentioned. So it's like translating what you know, theoretically and abstractly, but then getting the patient on board, getting the client on board, there's a level of education that does have to happen. And also a level of commitment and readiness, like you said, and how they're actually going to incorporate that into their life. Because if they're not going to be able to incorporate it, then obviously it's not going to work. So, you know, something has to shift for them to be on board and to understand. And then there's also different types of not only conditions, but also personalities that are also um, going to need a separate approach or additional guidance or, you know, just a different way to communicate and to educate them. So there has to be this um, level of like bedside manner almost where you have to understand what the person in front of you needs. And so that comes with practice and 
probably a little bit of hands-on communication and intuition to really guide this relationship forward. Um, so I really appreciate, you know, everything that you've shared. It was really, really valuable. I hope it was really valuable to the listeners. And about being aggressive and standing your ground, I think social media definitely loves that because the level of polarity it creates, people are either going to hate it or love it. You know, there is no in between. So unless you choose a side, you know, then it's really like you're going to have nobody, you're going to speak to nobody. And it all comes back to niching down, as you mentioned as well. So I love, you know, the work and education and what you're doing for the profession and propelling us forward and creating these and needs and these roles that we can be filling and really acting as the example that people can be emulating. So um, I'd love to know if you have just a couple more minutes for a rapid fire round. Sure. Okay. <laughs> I, lo so I love these questions. I had another uh, podcast I've done and then they're like, they threw me 20 questions. Like, uh, I don't know how to answer those, but okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have you here. Uh, yeah. So number one, what's next for you? You know, like we spoke about all the amazing things that you're doing. Um, is there a next level project that you're going to be working on? Like as far as mentoring, maybe other people through these complicated cases, are you going to continue to do that for free or, you know, what do you envision as far as taking it forward? Um, right now, um, I'm building up a new website at this point. It's going to be a lot more uh, interactive and utilizing different technologies. Um, so this way, any patients that come into the website, uh, you're able to get a, you know, easy to follow consultation um, right away, at least to initially recommend some of the initial supplements to start out. Uh, and then also, you know, following up. So all these things, there's, there's a lot of technologies available. And I met a few people who are in this space. And I think in terms of what pharmacists should be doing is when you're social media influencers, there are technologies that we could utilize to make it grow. So that's the big project right now. That's, uh, that's a huge one. Uh, and then the second thing is mentorship wise, um, I, I am thinking about it. Uh, so Lara, uh, you know, Lara Zakaria, she's in New Jersey and um, Orthomolecular uh, and I are planning actually setting up a functional medicine forum in New Jersey. Uh, so we want to, and then there's about 25 practitioners right now that want to join. We haven't started yet. Uh, most likely the first meeting will be probably September, October at my pharmacy. Uh, we actually have a big wellness center now to provide all these uh, uh, seminars. So we're going to do that. And then we're going to have a, you know, monthly, hopefully, or if not quarterly meetings and then educating the practitioners and then that's we that's where we want to grow because we got to unite at this point and and, and especially the way that COVID happening and the way that a lot of the uh naturopaths are getting attacked right now by the uh, government and healthcare uh, other healthcare professionals i think there's a there's a hope of unity should occur and really expanding into educating each other in terms of potentially uh mentoring some other practitioners I've thought about it. Uh, I don't have the overall capacity right now to do it. Um, but, you know, um, any, any people that I call up and asking, you know, about some tidbits, I don't say no, uh, generally, but uh, I could only give them so much information because they have to walk through the fire, I guess, to learn about it. Uh, so I'll tell them what not to do. <laughs> and then we'll figure out from that point on. So yeah, that, that's, that's it at this point. And then hopefully uh, uh, the, the virtual practice is going to grow. I want to actually uh, build up uh, 
group classes as well. I think that's where the overall uh, virtual aspect needs to go anyway. A lot of people are not able to afford to work with you privately. I think working group-wise would end up having to expand in terms of outreaching to other people. I haven't done that yet, but I'm, I'm looking at different things at this point. Love that. So to piggyback on that, do you have any tips about how to walk through the fire more safely? So, you know, knowing that probably mistakes will be made on some level when people are starting out, like what needs to happen, you know, and where can they find this guidance and mentorship in terms of hands-on experience? Right. So just don't go and as, and I had a few other people actually reach out to me about this, do not go into IFM or other functional medicine trainings and spending all that money before you know what your interest is. Do not do that. I keep telling people, I'm like, don't go into spending $20,000, in education where you don't even know what to do with it. And it's just didactic lecture. So you're not going to get the full clinical experience to know how to deal with different cases. So what you should be doing is, and this is a little tidbit, you can get free educations of functional medicine everywhere. So if you actually sign up with like actual automolecular, they charge sometimes. Even then, it's not that expensive, right? So like I'm going to automolecular's uh, uh, post-COVID event seminar in Dallas, Texas in October, and that's only $699, right? Compared to spending $1,000 or something to do that. But that's a three-day workshop. Uh, it's a, a three-day workshop with very well-known functional medicine doctors. That's a good way to get your feet wet. And then when you're working with different companies like Standard Process um, and then Biotics Research and all these very prominent uh, vitamin companies, they have free education events available online that you could learn. And that's where you should be starting. Get your interest up. You like about you, you and, and also take care of yourself. And this is the one thing that I posted on Instagram as well. I'm like, one of the fallout with a lot of uh, functional medicine providers is, you know, they're trying to fix a patient's metabolic issues. When you look at them, you're like, you're, you're in a worse scenario. I'm like, fix your issue first before you end up having to do it. And that's the thing. Take care of yourself as your patient. Order the labs to check how your hormones are, right? How your glucose is. Maybe you want to get a continuous glucose monitor and then check your glucose level. You know, do that, right? Lose some weight. Manage your stress better, right? Once you are able to fix yourself and knowing and going through your own issues, now you're in a better position. So I was like, you know what? I know how to take care of this patient because I've done it, right? The reason that I go into function, uh, into um, mold illness and Bartonella infection, I talk about that a lot, including cell membrane damage and utilizing phospholipids to deal with uh, cell membrane issues is because that's what I had to do. Back in 2015, I had a heart attack because of Bartonella infection. Matter of fact, I didn't know what, what caused a heart attack because I was very fit, had a normal cholesterol level, and then having to have a 85% blockage in my lower interior descending artery, had a, had a stent put in, didn't know what was going on. I thought I was going to quit pharmacy. And then I had a good functional medicine doctor that I worked with. And she told me to order these labs to look at potentially Lyme disease and Bartonella and everything else. And then eight weeks later, I found out that I was positive for Bartonella, mycoplasma pneumoniae, Epstein-Barr, um, as well as um, parasite issues and, and heavily dealing with 
mycotoxin issues. So that was it. Those are the three uh, several whammies that put together to result in an endothelial damage, increasing atherosclerotic plaque to build up. And I was also dealing with severe leaky gut issues. So at that point in time, I had severe, and I, I'm very embarrassed to talk about this, but I had very bad breath because of gut problem, right? I, and I thought it was just a thing that I, oh, you know, maybe I'm not drinking enough water or maybe I'm not eating well. And, and never thought about leaky gut, even though I knew about it, right? We, we know about these things. We learned in a didactic lecture, but unless you actually deal with yourself and really realizing what the problem is, you're not going to be able to know what that problem is unless you dealt with it. So, and that's what I, what happened. And so that's the reason why in terms of what I post these days, I, I don't go as deep as other, you know, followers like Dr. Jess and everyone else is because that's not really my forte. I mean, I deal with it at the pharmacy, but I'm not going to be sitting there and just talk about Lyme disease all the time or Bartonella. That's a key point of it, but we have to look at in terms of overall enveloping aspect in dealing with functional medicine and look at the root cause issue and simplifying that to the people out there. And simplicity, I think, simplicity is the overall sophistication aspect of it. And I'm a strong believer in that. If you cannot explain to a patient in a simple way that could follow you, then you don't even understand what's going on. And so I don't use fancy words on, on Instagram. I, I even now I'm doing interviews. And I don't even use fancy words because I want people to, to listen to me, understand that, you know what, this guy's normal. Yeah. He might be a little nerd nerdy in terms of dealing with pharmacy, but as a normal guy, I could speak to him and he could relate to me. So I think, I think that brings a value and that just, me realizing what, what that is. So everybody's different in terms of how, what their walk is and how they get to the level, but yeah, that's, that's it. <laughs> Love it. So walk through the fire yourself is, is the bottom line here. Walk the walk, talk, you know, whatever you're talking and walk it. Um, and simplifying, I love it too. It's highly underrated, but at the end of the day, you want it to be simple. It doesn't have to be so complex. Um, even though it is complicated, you want to make it so that it's achievable and therefore you got to start with the simple stuff and the low hanging right. fruit and stuff like that. So um, love that. And so leading into my, my next question is, you know, how do you have the time? How do you create the time to do all these projects that you're involved in and make sure you don't have another heart attack? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not very good at time management. That's that, that I'll tell you right now. Um, first off, I'm not married. Um, I, I don't have any, any other obligations except for running a pharmacy at this point. And then my overall goal right now is I'm very focused in terms of just growing it because I know for sure that in about three to five years, the entire retail pharmacy market is going to change. And so if I, if I don't pivot right now, it's going to be very hard for me to survive that. So that's why I end up having to take all this time and, and doing it and really building up the social media, right? right? Um, and you know, looking at different things and so, you know, building up your CRM and, and business management of it. And that's where you know, I'm, I'm really learning right now. But that's the thing. Like if you have a, and, and um, I, I did a Q&A, there's a Q&A going on right now. I don't, when you get a chance, take a look at it right after this. But there was one question and it's an anonymous question. So I don't even know who asked for it. And one of the question was, uh, you know, why aren't you, why are you still single? So I, I, I wrote, 
because I'm overqualified. <laughs> All joking aside, but it's uh, it's it's tough. Um, if I had a family, and and even if when I had a heart attack back in 2015, if I had a family, I had to support. And being that position and, and doing all those things, yes, spouse would have been you know there to to support you and help you, but it would have been an extra out of stress. And I don't think I would actually had the overall opportunity to dive into the overall disease states and learning about it on my own and knowing what I know now. So it's all about the hindsight. And I'm a strong believer that anything that negative that happens to you in life, there's always something positive that's going to come up. So it's always not a bad thing that you're going through bad stuff. There's always good stuff that's going to happen. You just have to do is open your eyes and uh, just see what's going to happen later, right? It's, it's just because a rainstorm or this thunder, thunderstorm coming through, it's not forever. Once that passes, there's always sunshine every, uh, out there. Yeah, I was just going to comment on the fact that we could ask, is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? But it's really a matter of perspective and you can see and learn certain lessons that wouldn't have been possible otherwise. And sometimes we have to learn it that hard way, but it's so powerful when that happens. Yeah. And, and I'm a little different too. It's my overall um, belief right now, even in terms of having family, even let's just even having kids at this point, I don't know if I want to even have kids at this point, especially what's happening in the landscape within the medical uh, as well as political and everything else. In terms of the overall autonomy that you are looking for in terms of raising your kids and how you want to raise your kids has been completely hijacked by the government. And so uh, I didn't comment that anywhere, but that's a worrisome aspect of it, right? Especially if you're going to be in a, in a, in a New Jersey, New York area, uh, even California for that matter, I don't think you have the overall autonomy these days to take your kids the way that you want to do. Um, and, and especially like, let's just say if you don't want to, let's just say vaccinate your kids, and you want to just be overall having a clean over set of life. And that's where I think social media aspect of it is sparking up and how these parents are moving into rural areas, buying plot of land, having a farming aspect of it and supporting their own. Um, and that's what's happening at this point. And so unless I actually have a right partner or a right person to have a similar mindset, let, at least, and, and having to really think about how to raise your kids and how you want to deal with your future, uh, it's going to be very difficult. So that's the reason why I'm like, you know what, I'm going to take some time to develop myself, take care of my business, grow that. And it happens, happens. If not, I'm still happy being Uncle John. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say too, when you mentioned the trend, um, I think that's very entrepreneurial spirit as well, like noticing ahead of time and getting ready and prepared for it. And then being successful at anything requires a, a level of you know, single-minded focus. So you're taking things one step at a time. So I really appreciate you commenting on that and also appreciate you being very transparent and, you know, your reasons behind why you do things and what you consider and speaking out on things that a lot of people are afraid to speak out about. Um, but yeah, the self-sufficient aspect is certainly, in my mind, one of the only ways that you can be um, self-autonomous in many respects. And I think that's also a huge reason that pharmacists are shifting out of the profession is to get a level of autonomy because we feel like stuck between the doctor and the insurance company and the patient and almost feeling like we have our hands tied. Yeah. Um, and, you know, regardless of 
how you even raise your kids, there is this huge other pandemic happening where the kids uh, don't even have a good chance of being healthy, you know, preconception to conception to all the neonatal and postnatal phases. It's like we're seeing so many health issues right at the get go as practitioners that it does become sort of risky and scary to even have kids nowadays. Very risky. Um, and even, it, it, you know, not dating anybody at this point, but it, that's just, I mean, it's being personal. But even if you look at some of the people that I see, I mean, husband and wife or, or et cetera, I mean, they're both sick right? They're both not healthy. They're full of toxins. And then if you actually had years of taking birth control pills on top of actually having nutritional deficiencies, you're going to overall change the epigenetic issue dealing with that child. And you're going to actually have kid who is severely sick or having developmental issues dealing with spectrum disorder. And this is the type of things that I end up having to see right from the get-go. Um, and because I seen, I've worked with the spectrum community for 80 years, right? I used to make methylcobalamin injections to take care of the Krebs cycle issues with these kids and detox pathways, right? And I've seen the pain and I've seen in terms of how overall nutritional deficiency that happens between the father and the mother causing a perfect storm opportunity and you're dealing with toxins on top of that to causing offsprings to having developmental issues. They don't talk about these things. And that's the things that I end up having to get really, really upset about. And, and uh, <laughs> I probably changed my tone at this point, but that's one of the things that are sickening uh, to see. And, and people are so blind in terms of what's, what they're not realizing that this particular path is not sustainable to a point that you're going to create a generation of generation of sick people. And there's not enough practitioners like ourselves end up having to help these people. So I've, I know a couple of um, naturopaths at this point, naturopaths, they're walking away from the profession because they're soon finding that, you know what? They're getting sicker and sicker. I can't manage this. They're not helping. And so they're, they're really into now virtual practice and then just doing group coaching and, and, and calling the day. But I think there's a huge value in terms of working with patients one-on-one -on -one and providing that need. But one thing I'm seeing right now in about five within five, even five years in terms of the autoimmune disorder that we see right now, it's going to be quadrupled even, you know, even more, probably 10, 20 folds in terms of what's happening um, is because people are full of toxins. They're not eating well, they're not dealing with stress. And I think COVID just lit a fire in terms of what's happening. Yeah. And this is, you know, just to say that this is a global issue affecting everyone and not just COVID, right? COVID actually maybe was a bad thing. Maybe it's a good thing because it's waking people up. And, you know, these things have to be addressed and prevented, right? Because for us to even have a chance to continue, uh, you know, our species in, in one sense of the world. And uh, it's, it's kind of like the more you know, the more scary it becomes, right? And you can't... Um, remain an optimist but the thing is we need to drive change and for that to happen we need to drive awareness so the one-on-one -on -one work is truly valuable but i also think we need to start changing our ways and our habits as a society as a world you know that is living in this global way and we're all affected by things that are going on 
all over the country and all over the world. So you yeah. got to start making big scale changes for any of this to even make a difference. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, I want to thank you so much for your valuable time and your really valuable information that you've shared with us. If you could just boil it down to like the number one thing people must start doing to get a better quality of life, what would that be? Improve your sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of people uh, end up having to not have the quality of sleep possible. I think that's the, that's the thing. If you could just fix that and as well as eating clean, and as well as learning how to manage stress and, and um, just living a healthy life, right? You get the sun exposure, exercising, pooping well, de-stressing well, all those things would do a better job than taking supplements in some cases. And so um, I call that a foundational support that people yes. need to do. Yeah, it's those low hanging fruit that's become my favorite phrase as yep. well as this simplicity phrase that we spoke about. So yep. the low hanging and the making it simple. And also these things are free and available to everyone. So that's the real beauty of it. So again, thank you so much, Dr. John, and let people know what's the best way to get in touch with you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Dr. Maria, it is an honor to be here again. And um, I know we had to reschedule this meeting for several times already. So I am very, very grateful to be here. Uh, the way for people to reach out to me is through social media is drdr.john.farmd. It's P-H-A-R-M-D. That's the best way to reach out to me. I have another website. It's called drkimwellness.com. Uh, we are actually revamping that website at this point in time, but if you want to sign up for a newsletter, uh, which is going to happen pretty soon, or uh, if you want to set up a you know, consultation, potentially, you know, definitely reach out to me there. Uh, and yeah, I'm happy to talk to you over social media. Love it. Well, I'll have all of that in the show notes. We finally made it happen. I am super happy with this interview. I think you've shared amazing, amazing information here. So um, by the time this airs, your website will probably be ready to go. So <laughs> yeah, people are checking that out. <laughs> yes. All right. So thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your day. Bye. All right. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to the Holistic Pharmacy Podcast. I truly hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed creating it. If you learned something new from it, I'd love if you could leave us a five-star review and share it with a friend who might love it too. You can find me on any of the podcast and social media platforms by looking up Holistic Pharmacist or Dr. Marina Booksov. Thank you for your support and see you next time.